0: Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Sophia Ramos. In this episode, Philip Hollingsworth speaks with Distinguished Professor of African, African American, and Diaspora Studies, Claude Clegg. In their conversation, Professor Clegg talks about his current project on a history of the Obama presidency. To start out, can you talk a little bit about in general your research and what you focus on? Absolutely. As a, as
1: a... Uh c- certainly. I primarily specialize in African American history with a nod to the larger diaspora world or diasporic world of the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first book was a biography of Elijah Muhammad, the longtime leader of the Nation of Islam religious movement. My second book was a book on Liberia and the migration of African Americans. From North Carolina, particularly, uh, to uh, the coasts of West Africa, where they set up this this colony, turned nation, Liberia, in the 19th century. Uh, and my third book was on a lynching that took place a couple, uh, two instances of lynchings that took place in my hometown of Salisbury, North Carolina, in the early 20th century. Okay. Um, so I've been sort of all over the place, whether yeah. it's Liberia or where this you know North Carolina and, and Chicago and, and points in between. Can you talk about your current research project? Mm, certainly. This is, a, this is a curious project for me as a historian. Uh, it's a project that looks at, or the plan is, to look at the way African Americans have experienced, or experienced, uh, interpreted, uh, witnessed, imagined the Obama presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, for those eight years. And it's curious because, as a historian, we are used to and more uh, comforted by seeing the things that have transpired in the rearview mirror. Right. Uh, when the dust has kind of settled, we have some distance from it and we can make some judgments about what it means. Perhaps uh, even better, we can have the sort of 10,000 foot view. And we can see the context of in which things are happening. So this is this is very much unlike anything I've written before because the Liberia book was on people who lived 150 years ago. Right. So most of the dust is settled on yeah, those yeah. sources and that history, and you know mm-hmm. I think we can still say new things about it. But you know no one's going to jump up out of the grave and have a counterpoint to what you've written, right? Or right. You know, there's nobody to interview or anything like that. So. No, each generation writes its own history. So even things you wrote, a, you write about that took place a hundred years ago. Someone in the next generation might write about it in a different way. They can right. use the same sources that come to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. But this this book is different in so far as, it, as it's a twenty first century topic. Uh, the Obama book uh, is history that I witness. We witness. Yeah. Um, The the dust hasn't settled on it yet, uh, and if his successor has anything to do with it, you know, he's going to be dragged into the fray and contested, and his legacy is going to be contested by the current president. That's a different place for me. There are historians who do recent history, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm very traditionally trained. You write about dead people, people who lived long ago, and you know places that either no longer exi- exist or very different places now, and sort of things that have happened. Again, the rearview mirror look, as opposed to being a witness to this, uh, the windshield, and as it's happening, and then trying to determine what should I remember. What is yeah. the important stuff in front of me? What will become history? What What's the legacy of everything that's in the windshield that I'm seeing as a witness to it? Uh, what will be the takeaways? What should I, again, have my eyes on? Should yeah. it be climate change? It, maybe that's the big story of the 21st century, and we're not paying enough attention to it. Uh, should it be the ACA, the uh, Health healthcare Act? Maybe that's the big takeaway of the... The Obama presidency maybe it should be the hyper partisanship uh, yeah. that's the takeaway from his time as president or criminal justice issues such as Ferguson and what happens in and some of these other play hot spots when it came comes to criminal justice and uh, unarmed black men being being killed by police so what's you know because we're so close to it and yeah. we're still sort of digesting or trying to figure out the legacy of the Obama years that's I think the most unsettling thing for me that is it puts in me the propensity to try to collect everything so that you don't miss anything. (laughs) So it means that over the last eight years or so, uh, every article that I think may have some meaning that I see on cnn.com or New York Times or video snippets on YouTube or uh, speeches by the president, even certain imagery, I've tried to save a copy of that. So I have a, a pretty... A pretty good archive of things, and even the archive is strange. It's um, we're in the digital era, so mm-hmm. CN, CNN.com, for example, is a, is a website. So uh, the research is online. The cover page of it changes every few hours, really. CNN. Yeah. yeah. So it's a uh, it's a moving target. It's not like going to the archive because you know those same papers are going to be there. Yeah, that's yesterday, true. Yesterday, the next week, the next year, the same manuscript collections. But this is a moving archive, uh, that one that's in real time, one that hopefully in some places, not necessarily CNN, but some some things you go to and it's there one day and it's not there the next. The link is broke. Mm. Or all of a sudden they put up a paywall, so you have to have a, uh, have a subscription to see that thing that you saw last week on this same website. Right. Or if it's an an article that you're reading online, maybe the comment section is really where the story is. It's not necessarily in the the article, right? But it's the way the... the, I'm sorry you're having to sift through internet comments. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a dirty business, but somebody has to do it, right? But sometimes that's where the story, how people are reacting to Mm -hmm. what's being reported. And uh, sometimes they're saying more thoughtful things than you're finding. Mm -hmm. So that is new for me. And I know that there are people who do this, you know, political scientists and journalists and others. They are used to sifting through the current uh, resources uh, and the things that transpired yesterday and trying to make sense of those things today, whether it's an election or whether it's, again, a journalist doing their reportage. But for a historian, it's it's an opportunity because there's so much in regard to the coverage of things. Some things are just overly covered. You right. know, the coverage yeah. is excessive. So you have video and you have articles and you have the pictures and you have the Twitter feed and they have the hashtags about this event. So there's so much to it, uh, which means that you have to have uh, some sort of filter that allows you to filter through all the white noise right. and still be able not hopefully lose anything uh, as you're doing the filters. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting project to th- try to think about, especially for his story. So, given that this is kind of out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm.
0: could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to push into this project, mm-hmm. even though it's, it's, as you said, it's a little more uncomfortable, the methodologies and the,
1: the, even the time period? The irony is that during the campaign season of 2008, I'm sort of watching this riveting primary, Democratic primary between, Uh, These two senators, Senator Obama and Senator Hillary Clinton. And it's neck and neck. And either one of them, whichever one becomes the nominee, is going to make history. First woman, first black guy, Uh, African-American person. So I knew that this was, we were witnessing history. Whatever happened, we we were witnessing history. There, Mm -hmm. There was something historic about the contest, the Democratic contest. So I just, I started collecting things then. You know, articles okay. and video s- snippets and speeches and things and so forth. Uh, so I knew I was witness- witnessing something historic, but I didn't know what it, what it might look like as history, okay. that is, as a book or right. anything like that. I, mm-hmm. knew was, I knew it was history worthy. It was worthy of being told. Uh, but in regard to—so I knew it was historic, but in regard to what kind of history would make— how could we know that before Senator turned President Obama, his t- his time in office, and seeing the whole eight years, and then trying to digest those eight years, uh, and trying to make sense of those, that his time in office, and again, it's, it's not a biography, so I'm not so concerned, well, it has biographical elements, and that's right. one of the draws for me, his biography, but it's how people are responding and experiencing his presidency during those eight years, and that I'm less concerned about the individual of Obama, although he's central to the story, but the sort of context around him mm-hmm. uh, that he's responding to and is responding to him, especially when it comes to African Americans. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to figure out how the historic can be fashioned into history. That yes. is some sort of book on this. You said
0: earlier, when you were talking about your project, mm-hmm. it's about the Obama presidency through, is it fair to say that through a African American experiential lens? I would say, is that correct? And I'm just curious, is there any like surprising anecdotes or any any findings that you've been kind of?
1: Uh, oh wow, hey, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that your characterization is is, is an accurate one, uh, a vision or a viewpoint on the Afri- on uh, the first African American presidents tenure in office through the experience Mm -hmm. of African Americans and also uh, the sort of expectations and other things they projected upon Mm -hmm. his meaning and his time in office. One thing that I knew this before going in, but the project uh, sort of confirms is just the diversity of black America. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have 40 40 million people. so and they're all on the different, in a different page, and many of them are in different books altogether. So there's, uh, even though we talk in terms of a black America, just the diversity of that experience, whether it's by class, by region, by political ideology, by religious convictions, gender gets played into that. Uh, a good proportion of those that we consider Black Americans weren't born here, so they're mm-hmm. from the Caribbean or from Africa. So we're talking about an immigrant experience and so forth. Friend uh, Obama's father was an immigrant, you know. So, yeah. um, so just the diversity of the, the group that I'm looking at. And then, my question, of course, for myself is uh, how do you talk in a representative way yeah. about such a diverse group of folks right. um, uh, beyond just the realm of, of anecdote? There are ways to get at it. Polling data you can get at it a sort of qu- quantified way of how people are measuring his presidency and approving of his presidency, or how he deals with criminal justice issues, or how he's dealing with the economy, and so forth. Uh, you can dig to it, dig into it in thematic ways, with the, the African American religious community thinking about his position on gay rights, which yeah. you know some folks are able to get on board with, and the, those folks say, "I'm going to tell my con- congregation never to vote." for mm-hmm. you to be re or anything like that. And so wow. the diversity within that community and then the sort of strands of black conservatism that emerge uh, not still fully formed, I don't think, but still uh, people like Herman Cain, who runs for the Republican right. nomination in yeah. 2012, or Ben Carlson, who runs in 2016, mm-hmm. and black evangelicals and others who we might con- you know, consider be ideological conservative in some ways. Uh, and, and, the, and even within conservatism, the yeah. sort of diversity of folks who might be anti-gay uh, marriage or anti-abortion, but they might be very, what we would call, liberal in regard to the social safety net and universal health care for others and so forth. So I'm, I'm struck by the diversity um, of African-American opi- opinion, the majority of those who uphold polled during his presidency support him as president yeah um, and voted to reelect him 90 percent or something like that 90 plus percent however I think that masks, uh, however some diversity of opinion some of the some of the opposition to him is more loud than it is deep so okay. people like Cornell West who come out and say uh, he's killing Babies around the world. His drone policy, mm, yeah, or uh, others who have some issue with some aspect of his presidency. You know, there, there have been some um, some critics who, in some cases, I think have had some reasonable critiques right. of him. But it, they're not representative insofar so as the overall I think sentiment among the African American community is concerned in regard to this particular. President, um, you, and you might say that that would have been the case for if Hillary Clinton was president. You know, oh, yeah. she would have got ninety percent yeah. of the black vote and so forth, and she did. You got like eighty-nine percent or something against mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Uh, but I, I think that um, studying Obama has, if there's a big takeaway, is just the notion that the idea of Black America masks. A lot in regard to class differences, in regard to how people experienced the Great Recession, in which was was full-blown when he came into office. Right. Uh, the mortgage foreclosure crisis, uh, how people thought about his handling of uh, the two wars that we're in, mm-hmm. uh, and all and a number of other issues. Uh, I'm struck by the diversity of opinion, even if you can see that. By and large, in general, African Americans as a constituency uh, uh, approved of what he was doing, although there are quibbles about yeah, this yeah, or that. Yeah, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Great.
1: Thank you. This is a question we ask everyone
0: we interview What's a book that changed your life?
1: Autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, which I read as an undergraduate of okay. 19. I read it over summer. Uh-huh. Um, I just thought it was a mind-blowing, eye-popping tour of his life through race relations in the 20th century, early to mid 20th century. Um, I think it's one of the great American classics. I think every American should read the autobiography of Malcolm X. There are certain things that I think that we might all have on our big book list list there once you read, yeah. it's, it's right up there towards the top. <clears throat> I found his transformations from the sort of, you know, high hopes of a young boy wanting to be a lawyer and, yeah. and, uh, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and then uh, the death of his, his, or his mother being committed to a mental institution, being passed around to foster homes and his life in crime and then imprisonment and then just the transformation and how this individual was able to recraft their life in more meaningful ways than it otherwise would have gone. Mm -hmm. And his candor and the sort of penetrating intellect that he brought to bear on his assessment and witnessing of American race relations, I I still think that uh, there's... His autobiography and many of his, spe- of his speeches contain some of the keenest insights into the society yeah. uh, that anyone uh, before or since has offered us. You
0: know, I, I, I would, that's what struck me when I read it. I read it probably, I was probably in my early 20s mm-hmm. when I read it, and it blew me away the contrast between what you're kind of told about mm-hmm. Malcolm X just through popular culture and that what you mentioned about the transformations and just near the end of his life, he was in, before he was assassinated, he was in like a whole new phase mm-hmm. that was about to start. And it was, right. it's such a, it kind of made it such a shame that his life ended when it did because mm-hmm. it was like, it was the new chapter, right. and, and, but yeah. Right. That was, did that, did that inspire the the biography of Elijah Muhammad? Yes. In, yeah. It did. It would be interesting. I don't know how much's been written on like Alex, Hale, Alex Haley's involvement too, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, I just don't know. There's there might be, but
1: as as you made everybody dug into that, <laughs> dug into it, and uh-huh. um, there's a lot of conspiracy theory around it. Really? So yeah, there are there are folks who. The autobiography came out, out after Malcolm's assassination. Yeah. So there are those who are saying that maybe Alex Haley fiddled with the autobiography or he left out this chapter or he massaged this chapter or he wasn't faithful to what Malcolm was saying. And I haven't really seen any proof of anything like yeah. that. I think the autobiography is... And if you can, you cross-examine the autobiography with what he was saying, his speeches and, and so forth, he's saying more or less the yeah. same thing yeah. uh, as far as his politics and so forth. But yeah, there are there have been those who, who more or less criticize Alex Haley of uh, not being forthright in presenting all of the material, that there are some secret chapters uh, oh, out yeah. there and that he's <laughs> sitting on or somebody's sitting on and uh-huh. so forth. Because
0: I remember that coming out with. Even before Marable's book came right. out, there was like, oh, he's going to get into these secret Alex Haley chapters yeah. and stuff like that. I remember reading some about that.
1: I, I don't put much credence <laughs> in that. Everyone who's writing something has a yeah. bunch of stuff that they don't use because most of it is not worth using. Right. Or a bunch of note cards. That, that, that. So I imagine, you know, the biography is 400 pages, so it's yeah, going to be yeah. stuff, you know, tapes yeah. of Malcolm and then he, he talking that just weren't important enough to, you know, include yeah. in the in the in the text of the autobiography, but again, it's one of those things. It, it, it's, it's like all these other figures. Yes. You know, yeah, in regard yeah. to who was behind JFK's assassination, is the FBI involved, or the Cubans are involved, and yeah, the mob is involved, or? Right. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Philip. It looks like they're getting really good value out of here, out of you around here. You're uh, you're doing, doing this, doing hand, and then yeah. you're working with the fellows.
0: And then doing... Check back at iih.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.